Thank you for the warm welcome I receive every time I come to this place. Um, it is a privilege and joy to be with you. Um, for those of you who are visiting today, uh, I'm sorry you don't get to hear the pastor of this church because you were checking it out, but um, I'll tell you, he's a really great preacher. <laughs> so come back when he's here. Someday I'm going to come when he's preaching too. This morning I just want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and I want to look at the verses 31 through 47. And before we uh, turn our thoughts to that, I'd invite you to join me in prayer. Father, you have brought us together this morning as your people. You have heard our praises. We pray that you would receive them. You've heard our prayers. We ask that you would honor them in your grace. Now, Father, we come to your word, and it's time for us to listen to you. And some of us this morning, Father, are just excited to hear your word, and some are perhaps cynical, perhaps apathetic, perhaps discouraged. Father, we know the love you have for your children, and so we pray by your gentle spirit that you would tune our hearts to be able to receive your word And may your truth set us free as you reveal it to us and as we open our hearts to it. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did, as it is. You are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I said. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? 
He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. I am sure you have all noticed that in the current presidential campaign, there's more talk than most years of liar, liar, deceiver, dishonesty, tell the truth. He doesn't tell the truth. She doesn't tell the truth. There's so much talk about truth and so much desire to have truth. A few years ago, there was a book that came out. It was on the bestsellers list called The Day America Told the Truth by uh, James Patterson and Peter Kim. Although I think it's kind of interesting to speculate about why a, a book with that title becomes a bestseller. But the book is really uh, based on some extensive research that had been done um, on American values, American views about telling the truth. And what it found is that 91 percent, 91 percent of Americans say they lie regularly and that they lie to just about everybody. Now, I know that doesn't include any of us. But it also says that the better they know the person, the more likely it is that they will have told that person a serious lie. Well, I can just think of when I was a teenager, what I said to my mother. Second thing they found is that when people refrain from lying, it's not because they believe it's wrong, but it's because they believe they'll be found out and they'll get caught. And the third thing the research found was that the majority of Americans believe there is nothing wrong with lying. Less than a third believe, like the old adage, honesty is the best policy. We are in this world, but not of this world. But that's our world. And in responding to that research, the authors write, lying has become a central trait in America. Lying is embedded in our national character. Americans lie about everything, and usually for no good reason. You know what's so ironic is that with lying being and deception and being deceptive being so common, most of us get really angry and surprised that it happened to us. And when somebody isn't dishonest with us, you feel violated You feel like, that's not right. You can't do that to me. I mean, have you ever dealt with somebody who's said nice things and been real nice to your face and you find out later that's not at all what they think of you? We all want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And it's interesting, the Gospel of John is loaded with Jesus speaking about the truth. Here in this chapter 8, he uses the word truth at least eight times. He's trying to tell the truth. And the people there, the Pharisees, didn't want the truth. Isn't that ironic? Where what we want most is the truth, and when the truth comes, it's not what they wanted at all. In this case, the truth was just too threatening to their value system, to what they really valued. I don't think they were misunderstanding what Jesus was saying or what the truth was. They just weren't willing to believe that it was true. That can't be true. They had their own perspective. I mean, you know a lot of people are like this. When they don't want to believe something, they make themselves believe it's not true. 
even though that deep down they know it is true. We see that all the time in our own lives, in, in life of families, in organizations, where they live with a lie about themselves because they can't handle the truth about it. Think of the example of a, of a family where there's someone with a significant alcohol problem and the whole family covers it up because they just can't have that be true of our family. And so we excuse lots of behaviors and pretend they aren't there. In a way, that's what the Pharisees are doing here. They had all the Old Testament prophecies. They knew that the Messiah would come. They knew who he would be, where he would come from, what he would do, and that's exactly um, what he was and where he was from and what he was doing. They saw the mighty miracles. They saw the wonders that he performed. And so they didn't have any excuse for not knowing who Jesus was. They just absolutely refused to believe it. And so they get into this big argument with Jesus. And the argument started because what Jesus said was something that they just found too offensive. Verse 32, Jesus says, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the the Pharisees misunderstood what he is saying here. They get all upset because he said he could set them free. And because of their pride, they didn't want to acknowledge that they were slaves. They were in charge. They knew what they were doing. They weren't in bondage to anybody or anything. Their pride in their religious heritage made them get very defensive. And they start yelling at Jesus about how they've never been slaves of anyone. Isn't that interesting? They were born in Egypt in slavery. The nation of Israel came out of slavery. And then there were the Babylonians and the Persians, and now they're under the Romans. We've never been slaves of anyone. Obviously, they're not talking about political slavery or national slavery. They're thinking of religious slavery. They're thinking of those rotten non-Jews, those pagans who have all their idols, and they're enslaved to keeping the... uh, their gods happy and appeasing them so that they won't send down bad weather or tragedy or illness. And that burden of appeasing their pagan gods seemed to the Pharisees to be the kind of bondage Jesus must be talking about. But that's not what he was talking about, and he's not trying to start an argument either about whether or not they'd ever been slaves. He was saying something a lot more significant. Three things at least. One is that he's the son of God. He has the authority to tell people, if you believe this, you'll be set free. He tells them he is the son of God. Secondly, he says, if you hold to my teaching, verse 44, then you'll know the truth. And thirdly, the truth will set you free from bondage to untruth. You won't be enslaved to things that aren't really real, things that aren't really true. So the choices we make will lead to things that help us instead of things that hurt us. The truth is that these guys who were claiming they knew the truth were, as Jesus makes it very clear, dishonest, evil people. And Jesus knew it. 
And the truth is that every one of us is a dishonest, evil person, and Jesus knows it. And just like the Pharisees, we don't want to believe that truth. We have a hard time accepting it and dealing with it. So instead of accepting the truth about ourselves and about our sin, we look for ways to deal with it. And there's lots of different options. One way we deal with it is we hide from it. We learn that from Adam and Eve. You just hide. Or you ignore it. We call that denial. Just not think about it. Pretend it's not there. Or we try to overcome it and get very determined. We're going to be a very good person. We're not going to sin. We're going to be better than that. We're going to have more good things about us than bad things. And so it will offset the bad and we'll be good. And we, we find our righteousness in our works and in our effort and in our behavior. Or, and I think this may be the most common one for, for me, for us, we redefine it and say it's really not that bad. It's not such a horrible thing. And we call evil good. But Jesus knows the truth. He's the Son of God. But be sure you recognize what the Scripture teaches, that not only is he the Son of God in that he knows the truth about me and you, the truth is he still loves us in spite of that. It's a love that's in spite of, not a love that's because of. The very reason we try to hide the truth about our sin is because we think that God's not going to love us anymore if he finds out what we really did, as if he didn't know. The truth is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Romans 5, verse 8. See, the message right here in John chapter 8 is that we can be set free from that bondage to sin. At the end of the previous section, uh, right before we started reading in, in 31, in verse 30, it says that many of the people who believed in Jesus when he told them that he was the light of the world, believed. And then verse 31 starts by saying, to those who had believed him, so he's not necessarily uh, addressing this to the Pharisees. He's addressing this particularly or specifically to those who had just believed. He said, to those who believed, he said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think it's kind of interesting how many people think this verse comes from someplace other than the Bible. They don't realize it came from Jesus. Some of you, uh, unfortunately, can remember the sad days of the scandals going on during the Clinton years. And when President Clinton gave his infamous confession speech, a lot of the news commentators were using that phrase, the truth will set you free. And then they would attribute it to, uh, it was an old wives' tale or an old saying or an adage. And I even remember one uh, commentator attributed it to Aristotle. And I thought, oh, maybe you ought to read the Bible. It was Jesus who said, if you believe or hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me just 
get into that a little bit and take that apart. In other words, if you hold to, not just intellectually understand, but if you are committed to, if you are a disciple and follower of, you hold to my teachings, putting them into daily practice, and my teachings being that the only way to God is through Jesus, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. Now, I'm not exactly a Greek scholar, Blake knows, um, but I did study enough Greek that when I went over this passage, it jumped out at me that the word know in Greek has two different words. There's two different ways to say no, and in English we don't have that. When we say we know something and we want to say it in the way that the uh, Greeks really would say it, you really will know what it's like. And so the two words that they have are gnosko and oida. Gnosko is a word that means you know something because you saw it. For example, um, you know when you read the local newspaper what's going on in town. You know when somebody calls you up and tells you something, that bit of information. You know it. But that's like saying when you're... um, 16 years old, and your mother said, someday you'll understand. Then you know that someday you'll understand, but not until you get to the age she's talking about. Oh, that's what she meant. Now I know, experientially know. And so gnosko is is when you know something because you've seen it, but oida means you know something because you've been through it. You know what it's like to have cancer if you've had cancer. You know what it's like to be broke if you get fired and out of a job for too long. You know what it's like to struggle if you've had real struggle. That's what he's talking about. The clear contrast between those two uh, words is especially clear a few verses beyond where we were today. But if you go down to verse 55 where Jesus says, Though you do not know him, that is the Father, I know him. So he's saying to the Pharisees, you don't even have intellectual knowledge about him. I've lived with him. I know him. It's it's really, though you do not gnosko him, I oida him. In other words, even though you haven't seen uh, or recognized or uh, known what it's like, I've experienced it. Even though you haven't even seen him yet, I've deeply experienced life with the Father. I mean, it's that kind of knowing Jesus is talking about when he says you will be set free when you know at that level, when you have experienced, not when you just know about Christianity as one more world religion, but when you know Jesus, you're set free. But Jesus not only knows the truth, he also reveals the truth. And he reveals it not just by talking about it, but he reveals it in a way so that we can know it in a oida kind of way, not just a gnosko kind of way. If we all had the same information about God, we might know about him, but there'd be some who really never knew him. Isn't that what Jesus says? When, when the people come to him at the judgment day and say, when did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you? He said, go away. I never knew you. You didn't have that relationship, that 
oida, kind of knowing you. Jesus is the word that became flesh and lived among us. And the reason he came to live among us is so that we might know him in an experiential kind of way. That was true in a physical way for the disciples and the people of his day. But it's also true for us in a spiritual way. And that's why Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. But at Pentecost, he came as the Holy Spirit to live with us, to be amongst us, to be in us so that we can know him. He can be a part of our life, not just a part of our memory bank. You see, for those folks here, Jesus reveals the truth through his teaching and through his miracles. And we have all of that in the Bible, but we also have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, But when he, the spirit of truth, interesting that he calls the Holy Spirit truth in the gospel of John. And his, um, John's always trying to bring out the truth in this gospel. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John fourteen six. There's just a lot of people who are in slavery to the wrong ideas about what's true, what's real. One of the part-time jobs I currently have is with Hospice of Eastern Maine as a chaplain, and I visit a lot of different people. And we had a gentleman living way out in the willywags, <laughs> Um, the nurse was visiting him on a daily basis. And one day the nurse and the man was very, very um, disinterested in Christianity. The nurse said to him, you really ought to have the chaplain come and talk to you. The man was in deep distress. I've not seen in hospice care anyone with such incredible suffering. And he said, all right, can't, can't do any harm. So the nurse made a referral, and I went to go visit this patient. And we had a nice chat. Thankfully, we had a point of connection because he's collecting all the same novels, the, the, the writer that I love to, to, write, uh, to read. And um, actually, on the second visit, he had them all boxed up and gave them to me. Um, but that gave us a point of contact to start talking because otherwise he wouldn't have wanted to talk. And I kind of won him over to trust me a little bit. And he said, I've been doing a lot of reading about reincarnation. What do you think I'm going to come back as? And I said, you really want to know? And, you know, with, with hospice care in that kind of a situation, it's not appropriate for me to go in there with guns blazing and pound the gospel into his head, although I was tempted. Um, I want to help this man and so uh, I said, you really want to know? And he said, yeah, what do you think? There was an open invitation. <laughs> what do I think? I'll tell you what I think. I said, I don't think you're coming back at all. And he, that's what started our conversation. It's amazing how many people, my point here, I got a little more hospital stories we could talk all morning. My point here is a lot of people have crazy ideas and they're enslaved to the untruths that they believe. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Some people say there is no God. 
They believe that. What a terrible lie to be enslaved by. Or they say, it really doesn't matter if there's a God or not. What a horrible thing to be enslaved to. These kinds of people are in bondage to what's not true. And Jesus is the only way out of that bondage. I remember years ago watching an old black and white movie on TV. And I don't remember very much about this, except that there was this scene where there was a woman in the hospital in her uh, in her bed. She had been through surgery and the nurses kept begging her to not prevent her husband from coming to visit. They'd been married for 25 years, but she just didn't want him to see her in that condition. Mainly, she didn't want him to see her without her makeup on. And so she was not free. She was held hostage in that hospital room with no one to come to give her love and support. Alone, feeling unlovable. She didn't have her husband's support because she didn't want him to know the truth about what she looked like without her makeup. Now we kind of laugh at that kind of foolishness, I guess. But don't we do the same thing all the time? We cover up not only our physical blemishes, but our emotional hurts, our business failings, our credit card debt, our personal failures, all kinds of sins. And the result is we're held hostage to the need to keep everybody thinking it's not like that. That's not the truth. Why do I always have to pick up my house when I have company coming over? I don't want them to know how I really live. You know, I don't ever have dishes piled up in my sink. Why do we want people to think what's not true? We do it in little ways and we do it in very big ways. And as you read the Bible, you'll see the history of how God was at work down to the ages to carry out his plan to bring us the truth. To send Jesus, who is the truth that can set us free. God never distorted the truth. He always tells it like it is. He's never tried to cover up the real reason why he sent his son. Or the real situation of why his son was so needed. He's always insisted that sin cannot be covered up. It has to be cleaned up. He's always said that the truth is the only way to be set free from our sin. Because if you are his disciple, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's only one way to have that is, as First John says, if we say we have no sin, if we are liars, if we say we are clean, we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That's the truth. Hallelujah. That's the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Even though many times we who are sinful do not like to hear it. We want to hide from it. We want to redefine it. We want to move it around and alter it. Oh, Father, be gracious and merciful with us as we face our own need for your cleansing power.
day by day. Help us to find the cleansing of Jesus again and again. Renew us by your Holy Spirit to be the kind of people that you want us to be so that you may use us to accomplish the mission you have for us in this world. For the sake of those who don't know you, keep us faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.